I V M. Hello and welcome. This is Govind Rajethi Raj presenting to you the latest segment of Business Dot Next on Bloomberg Quint. My guest for today is Kevin Freiberg, the author of books like Guts and Nuts. I'm today going to be talking to him about innovation, but in a slightly different context. We've spoken about innovation in the past for growth, innovation to take organizations forward. But today, innovation is also needed for survival as a CEO, as a business, or for that matter, even as a young professional setting out into the workforce. Kevin, tell us, uh, what's, what's different about innovation today? How is it that managements and CEOs should be looking at innovation today, and which is somewhat different from previous occasions? Well, Govind, I think the, the world is changing so much faster. Uh, I think it's more complex. We have uh, transparency. You have all kinds of uh, challenges that business leaders and, and CEOs and managing directors are faced with today. And I also think we live in a world of mimicry and, and me tooism, you know, and you can't be you cannot be a leader by playing follow the leader, right? You can't stand out by trying to fit in. So you have to find the courage to break away in a world where there's so much pressure uh, to conform, right? And, and that makes innovation different and it makes it challenging because that kind of leadership is not for the faint at heart. It, it takes courage. It takes resolve. It takes... Um, dedication and commitment and determination to uh, engage in that kind of innovation. And one of the things that I'm telling our clients uh, around the world is, you know, if you're doing it the way everybody else is doing it, what makes you think you're going to be any better? You know, if you can't tell me uh, very succinctly why you would be missed if we took you off the face of the earth, then give me one good reason why your business isn't in danger of, of disappearing. So, you know, in a world where everyone and everything around you is constantly getting better, uh, where technology waits for absolutely nobody, right? And uh, yes. where the customer, the client is getting smarter, more sophisticated, and, or, you know, more demanding. I think that requires... Um, a new level of innovation, a new commitment to innovation, and constant uh, innovation. And and how do you define innovation or look at innovation today as compared to, let's say, 20 years ago when you were writing your earlier series of books? Well, I don't know that the, that my definition of, of innovation has changed. You know, I, I think everybody thinks about innovation largely in terms of technology, right? It's the it's the new whiz-bang thing that uh, Godridge has come out with or Apple or, you know, Google or whoever your company du jour is. But I really think innovation is really about coming to work every day and asking the question, how do I make the business better? How do I differentiate the business more? And how do I grow the business faster? And, you know, that could be brand innovation, it could be business model innovation, it could be process innovation, it could be technological innovation. I think the way it's changed is we typically thought of innovation as, you know, creating new things, new products. But now I think it covers every aspect of the business. And if you aren't innovating your processes, if you're not innovating your cost structure, your business model, all those things I mentioned, 
then I think you're going to be playing a game of catch-up. And and what are the best examples that leap out to you when you talk about innovation in the very, very broad sense, as you just did? Well, I think that I think there's a mindset for for innovation. Uh, if I understand your question clearly, I think there's a there's a way that business leaders have to be thinking today. And uh, you know, we could spend the rest of the day talking about this, but very briefly. And quite frankly, I, I wasn't smart enough, Govin, to come up with this on my own. I learned this from uh, Ratan Tata. <laughs> but I think we have to create a culture where it's safe for everyone in the organization to question the unquestionable. Now, you have to ask, what are the unquestionables? The unquestionables are your taken-for-granted, deeply held assumptions about the way you think your industry works, about the way you think your business is competing, about what you think your employees are capable of. It's your, it's your taken-for-granted assumptions about what you think your customers really want. And if you look at all of the great innovators down through the corridors of time, the one thing they all have in common is they were willing to question the unquestionable. They were willing to ask why. And I'll give you a really wonderful example from your part of the country. Um, I'm just such a huge fan of Devi Shetty. Uh, most of your listeners probably know Devi Shetty is one of the foremost heart specialists Surgeons. in the world today and the creator of the, of the health city. And uh, is it Bangalore or Hyderabad? I Bangalore. can't remember. Bangalore, thank you. But, you know, Devi Shetty questioned. He said, why is it that we have over two and a half million cases of needed open heart surgery in India alone, but we only have the capacity to do 90 or 100,000 surgeries a year? And so he founded NH Hospital, and today, because they're really taking a, a Walmart assembly line approach, who would have thought of that, right? Right. Uh, to open heart surgery, Shetty and his team of 90 cardiologists are doing three times more open heart surgeries than our busiest heart centers here in the West. And they're doing it with better mortality and morbidity rates. They're doing it with better infection rates. And what blows me away is they're doing open-heart surgery, including infants, for less than $2,000 per patient. And what I tell our health systems over here in the U.S., I say, Shetty and his team have partnered with Ascension Health to build another health city in the Grand Cayman Islands, which is a 60-minute flight from Miami. And I like to get in our clients' faces and say, look, do you think that what they're going to do over there has the potential to disrupt how we think about innovation in healthcare over here, because I'm betting I'm betting it will, and it's because somebody said why, somebody questioned had the guts to question the unquestionable, and uh, I'm watching with great interest to see what he does next because I think it's a marvelous story. Right. So, would you call that a process innovation or some other kind of innovation? No, I think it's a great question. I, I would primarily call it a process innovation. You know, people, when I tell that story to people here in the West, right, they say, well, of course he can do open heart surgery for $2,000 or less. It's, uh, you know, I, I mean no offense to your listeners, but people over here say, well, of course, it's cheap Indian labor. Sure. And I say, no, it's not cheap Indian labor. 
He's buying the same equipment from GE and Siemens and everybody else that we buy in our heart centers over here. His cardiologists, many of them were trained in the West. They could have jobs here. It's not cheap Indian labor. It's radical process innovation. It's the fact that they are using that equipment 500 times more than we are here in our heart centers here in the U.S., and they're getting economies of scale out of it. Right. Now, if I were to you know, look at the other kind of disruption that many businesses, enterprises, CEOs are facing, it's really to do with technology and uh, very, very fundamental shifts, the arrival of the sharing economy, the arrival of companies which can go from you know, zero to a billion almost overnight in terms of consumers. And you really don't know where these companies are coming from, what kind of people will drive them. It could be a 21-year-old who's graduated from a basement. It could be someone sitting in a part of the world you've never visited or even heard of. So how do you prepare for this world better than perhaps you could earlier? Yeah, it's such a great question. I think one of the things that uh, we all have to be mindful of is the fact that uh, those kinds of disruptions and, and what you're talking about, Govind, I think is, uh, you know, Uber is a, is a great example here, right? Yes. Uber is a tech company. It started as a technological company and then radically disrupted the transportation industry here in the U.S. and specifically, uh, you know, the whole taxi cab industry. But it was primarily a tech company applied to uh, a, a new industry. So, you know, if you live in a world where there's somebody out there lurking in the weeds that you have no clue about, I mean, you don't even know they exist, right? 20, uh, what is it, maybe 15 years ago, how many book publishers do you think knew there was a little company called Amazon.com out there lurking in the weeds that was going to disrupt publishing and the retail book business, and now they've disrupted about every other part of retail, as, as we all know. So back to your question, how do you prepare for that? First of all, I think you have to tell yourself, you, you just got to come to grips with the fact there's going to be more of it, and it's going to come faster. You know, unpredictability and competitors that come from places you didn't even think about is the new status quo, right? That's There is no new normal. And so I think the first thing is you have to develop a mindset that says there's no advantage to imagining that the world in which you live is stable and predictable. Um, we've got to be more open-minded. We've got to be more flexible. We've got to, we've got to create um, personalities, if you will, and cultures that are more nimble and agile and adaptive and can move with, with speed and agility. So I think if you can develop a mindset that says, you know, it's Govind, it's hard to be surprised if you establish up front that you're likely to be surprised. And I don't know about you, but when I think in that mindset, it makes me lighter on my feet. It makes me think, okay, you've got to be ready for anything. Now, it's interesting you said 15 years, uh, uh, Kevin, because the last time I interviewed you, must have been uh, almost 16 years ago. And that was before Amazon in the way we know it, iPhone, Facebook, uh, Google, uh, and the rest of the internet world, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, of course, you know, we can, uh, in, a, in a future segment, we'll talk about Southwest. But, uh, you know, Southwest innovated radically with its business model. You know, we had a hub-and-spoke system here in the United States, which basically means you 
fly into a hub, you make your customer wait for a couple hours while you load up a big airplane and then you fly them to another hub. And Southwest said they radically disrupted the business model. And that, You're right, that was 20 years ago when we wrote that book. But they radically did it through business model innovation and said, look, we think the business model in the airline industry is broken. And uh, hopefully we'll have an opportunity to talk about that more in the future. Right. But right. you're right. And, you know, I mean, I asked you about uh, how CEOs should view it. But if I was a manager or a young professional in the workforce, how should I be looking and preparing for this very, very unpredictable future? And how can I be innovating myself? Well, I think, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of lifelong learning. You, you have to have the humility, I think, to say we've never arrived. And even if we are the incumbent in an industry or you are the incumbent employee in your department, right? You're the linchpin. You're the, you're the guy or the gal who is rocking it, right, in business. I think you have to have the humility to say, um, I have to keep widening the gap of competitive advantage because you never know where that next competitor is going to come from. And I think that's a, that's a lifelong learning mentality. It's, it's asking the question, um, you know, how do we continue to grow? And I think you have to be thinking about uh, the trends. You know, I, I, if I were a young person starting in business today, I would become a trend expert. I would be asking the question, what are the major trends that are shaping our economy? What are the, what are the ways in which people are changing the way they live their lives? What are the ways in which... Uh, demographics are shifting and technology is changing. How, what's happening in the regulatory environment? Because where those trends intersect, there are huge opportunities for innovation. And so, you know, I think you have to be a critical thinker today if you're a young person starting in business and you want to be indispensable to your organization. And I think one of the places to start with that is to say, where do these trends intersect? What are, what's the bigger story behind that intersection of trends? And how can then we use that information to bring new things to our customers and grow our business? Right. And uh, Kevin, you're not a big fan of best practices. Why is that? Well, you know, at the end of the day, Govan, I think uh, best practice, let me be really clear. If you suck, I mean, if your business is terrible, if you're hurting, Best practices are probably a good thing. Go out and study the best people in your industry, figure out what they're doing, and then learn how to block and tackle better. So I want to be clear about my position on this. If, if, um, if you're hurting, then best practices are okay. But the reason I'm not a fan of best practices from an innovation point of view is because if you go out and emulate somebody else's best practice, the best you're ever going to be is a good number two. And so you're always playing catch-up. And best practices tend to be incremental in terms of, you know, innovative improvement. And I don't have any problem with that. It's just that if you want to stand out in a sea of sameness, if you want to radically differentiate your business and widen the gap of competitive advantage, it can't be incremental. It's got to be more of a breakthrough. And so I, I think... Um, I challenge our clients to be thinking in terms of next practices, not best practices. Right. Uh, as we run to the end of our conversation on this segment, Kevin, so you and your wife, Jackie, have written eight business books. What attracts you to a story? You know, Govan, we love 
we love renegades. We love people that are out there in the business world doing things that everybody else says can't be done, and they're doing it, and they're making it work. Uh, we got spoiled very early on in our business career with Herb Kelleher and Southwest Airlines because they were really a company that uh, was a beacon on a hill for us. Um, and what I mean by that is they were a wonderful example of the fact that you can love your employees. Who talks about love in business today? Hmm. You can have fun and you can be fiercely competitive and wonderfully innovative. And they modeled all of those. And so uh, I will tell you, it kind of ruined us, Jackie and I, because they became the model in terms of the kind of companies we go after that we want to write about and the kind of stories we want to tell. And would you have written about an Uber or a Airbnb or Facebook in their time? Would these companies have shown up on your radar? Yes, you're exactly right. Those are the kind of companies that on the front side of their idea, everybody looks at them and says, mm, that'll never work. You can't do that. You're freaking crazy. That's not going to happen. And yet they went ahead and, and, and did it. I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so attracted to, um, to Devi Shetty with the NH Hospital. You know, he's done something that no one in the medical community is doing. And uh, so that's, that's very attractive and very compelling to us. Right. And final question, just to come back to innovation, do companies or should companies be, you know, creating departments for innovation or innovation teams? Or is it something that is ingrained across the organization? And is that a tall order? <laughs> My answer is yes and no. How's that for a political answer? <laughs> uh, the yes part of it is, I, I, I think you demonstrate your commitment to innovation by having a focus. So whether that's a department or a think tank, um, you know, or, or a skunk work of some kind in your organization that is dedicated to thinking over the horizon, that is dedicated to next practices, I'm a fan of that. The underbelly of that, the downside of that, is that if you do that, you run the risk of having people in the organization say, innovation isn't my job, that's the R&D department's job. That's the innovation skunk works job. That's the, you know, department of innovation's job. And I think then what happens is you, you, you lose an incredible amount of creativity that is resident in the organization. I'm one who believes that innovation should be everyone's job. Why do I say that? Because and I mean no offense to any managing director that might be listening to this, to, to our conversation, but look, who are the true experts in any organization? My answer to that question is the true experts are the people who are at the point of action. They see the customer complaints every day. They know that what's broken. They know the processes that are broken. They know the waste and the redundancy that occurs in the organization. And they're the people that see it, but then they go over here to the water cooler or to the coffee, you know, to the, have a cup of tea and bitch and moan about it, and then nothing ever gets done about it. Well, what if we empowered those people to say, innovation is your job. Innovation is inherent to every job in this organization, and if you are not constantly thinking about how do we grow the business faster, differentiate the business more, uh, uh, and, and make it better, then 
the organization is being ripped off because you've got a lot of creative talent that isn't being tapped. Right. Kevin, we've run out of time on this segment. Uh, thank you so much for speaking to us and sharing your thoughts on innovation as it becomes very critical, not just for growth, as we've been talking about all these years, but also for survival increasingly today in a very, very complex and difficult business environment. Thank you so much. Govin, thank you. Enjoyed it. Don't forget to tune in on BloombergQuint.com or IBM podcast app for the latest edition of Business.Next podcast every week. Hi, my name is Anupam Gupta. I'm B50 on Twitter. I am the host of Pesa Pesa, a show that talks money. On my show, I speak to experts from every field of money and finance, from stock markets, equities, debt funds, credit cards, life insurance, every possible area of money and finance that you can think of. We even did an episode on cryptocurrency. I've got fantastic guests from mutual funds to personal finance experts everywhere. Robo-Advary, startups, just name it, we've got it. At Pesa Pesa, we help you make smart decisions about money. You work hard for money. Now make your money work hard for you. New episodes out every Monday and you can listen to my show on the IVM podcast app or any other podcasting app that you have. Pesa Vesa is brought to you by Paytm Money. Advertising is dead. Yep, you heard me right. Advertising is dead. We're all in the content business now. Let's not call it news, TV, radio, etc, etc. It's all content and we're in the middle of this weirdly exciting phase where all the borders and lines that have been drawn over decades has been swept away by this lovely thing called the internet. We're a show where we don't dwell on just the stuff that is now, but rather the wider stuff about advertising, media, content and the whole goddamn circus surrounding it. Tune in every Tuesday for our weekly unboxing of the mystery box we used to call advertising. I'm Varun Dugirala, co-founder and content chief at The Glitch, and this is my new podcast, Advertising is Dead. <laughs>